0: You are listening to the Break Free from
1: Your Monkey Mind podcast, where you will be introduced to various techniques, ideas, and guests, providing you with ways to improve your mental health and help you take the
0: first step towards your goals and aspirations. Let us inspire you today to learn, grow, and succeed. Here's your host, Tony Gordon.
1: Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and welcome to Breakthrough from Your Monkey Mind. Uh, We are joined today by Tony, my co host, and Les Roberts as well. So, a good hello from me and welcome, Tony. Hello.
2: Hello, everyone, and hi, Les.
1: Hi, hi, everyone. So this is season four, episode five. This podcast is going really quickly. So um just to let you know that I have got some noise going on in the background. So if you hear anything like that, please just ignore it. Um, but we will pass over to Les. Oh,
0: that's
2: really pretty. What is it, Les? So Les, just tell us a little bit about yourself before we start. Um... On
0: my name's Les Roberts, and I'm a clinical hypnotherapist. I also am a practitioner in NLP, eye movement therapy, EFT, and I do a little bit of Reiki every so often. My specialism is working with children.
2: Good. Now, did us everybody, but now tell us about Les. Uh,
0: All about oh, what you
2: do. Who's Les the person?
0: All about me. Uh, Married. Yeah uh three children two grandchildren i have two little dogs called olive and pepper who also come in and work with me so when uh some of the kids come in who's really upset i bring the puppies in they're not puppies the two but we still call them puppies uh bring the puppies in and um you know they they run around like crazy for a bit uh with the kids and it calms the kids down and everything so yeah
1: what breed of dogs have you got
0: chihuahuas Oh, okay yeah the, the beautiful little little girls they are we, we wanted to have our our other dog who was a spaniel as a therapy dog but unfortunately by the time i'd acquired this building we'd got ready to open and after covid well during covid we lost her um she was quite she was my dad's dog and she was quite old so but, but she was very 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 good she never went on a lead or anything she was such a good uh, well-behaved dog so because of covid we couldn't get a spaniel from anywhere we wanted a rescue dog and we couldn't there was nowhere open all the kennels were shut so we found um that our two little girls in um from a breeder and we bought them from you know them being a couple of weeks old so
1: yeah and that, that breeds really good with children i i I don't really know about dogs breeds with children i mean i've just got a puppy myself and it's a miniature poodle yeah and Touch wood. She seems to be absolutely fine with kids.
0: Yeah, no, we've uh, we've we've always always handled them. We've always, you know, like um, stroked them. We've always interacted with them a lot, and even taken food off them when they're eating, you know, to see how they react and everything. And um, apart from growling at each other when they're playing, nothing. So they are fantastic, and the kids love them. And with them being so little quite fast as well and I'm in, in a first story built I'm on the first floor in a, an old Victorian building so you can imagine the stairs you know the big, big massive staircase that they just fly up and down they absolutely love it
2: yeah
1: so it's good
0: exercise for them not for me but for them <laughs> chasing up yeah. and
1: down yeah.
2: and it's good therapy for the dog for the dogs a good therapy for the children as well That does that and that brings on only But why you're here today so it's Looking at the fact, we've done a lot of talks of all different things for adults, but a lot of people actually spoke to them recently saying, you've not done, talked too so much for children, done little bits on it. I said, well, now we get actually who's an expert in the field and talking about working with children. But what they are really interested in is um, looking at mental health as more adults have, or 15, 16-year-olds gone. it's really become a lot more since 2011, 2012, it's social media, most people don't need, but there's a lot of other factors that has affected them. But what about younger children? Um, how do you see the ones that you see affecting them? And what kind of things can parents do?
0: Well, research says that there's one in six children that are suffering from some kind of mental health, uh, not necessarily disorder, but mental health issue. So if you think one in six children, that's massive, isn't it? That's huge, mm. absolutely huge. Um, so what I do for, um, for the children is um, I help them to manage themselves. So I don't fix them. Um, so I'm not going to tell them to get over things. What I'm going to do is I'm going to help them get through them. So I help them by teaching them tools and giving them strategies that they can take with them into teenagehood, into adulthood. And they can use these tools over and over and over again. And it's, it's a case of understanding your body, understanding those emotions, why we have those emotions. So it's okay to get angry. It's okay to, to feel anxious. It's okay to feel upset. What's not okay is if you let these manifest. So I teach them. So when they've um, gone through the natural process of being angry or a little bit anxious or, you know, worried about something, teach them that um, within their circle of control, they can't control these so what they need to do is they need to let them go what
1: so, age so, group sorry what age group do you actually work with
0: um the youngest I've worked with is three and a half and the mm. eldest mm. I've worked with is right the way up to 19 and then into adults um but my uh the on average I work between five and 15 so it's so quite it's a
1: broad easy. spectrum
2: uh, do you feel that as an age, though, we keep hearing people saying this, that you need to let them just be themselves to work through things first of all. So do you feel that as an age, that it's too early to intervene and start teaching these skills?
0: At what age, sorry?
2: As Do you think there is an age, is there any age you would say, you said that you've worked on ride, that some children, some parents think that they're too young to be doing these things. No, and what I would you say so. to them, is there any age as a cut off or saying...
0: I don't think there's any age there where you can start to think that these children may be able to understand what's going on. I think right from the beginning, early intervention is key. So say, for instance, a three-and-a-half-year-old came to see me, I wouldn't turn around and say, well, let's leave him till he's five, and then we'll, you know, if he's still like this, which he possibly will be, and even worse, let's have a look at him then. So what I would do is from... as as early as possible we need to nurture our children we need to help them thrive and by doing this we can teach them skills that they can carry on all the way through their life
2: and what kind of things do you think that parents can do at home to help with that to start when as young as our age but where can they start putting things in place to teach them these skills so they don't have issues when they get to teenage years
0: have have, be open with them be as honest as you can with them and if there is a trauma within the family or a bereavement in the family be open with them be a bit more tactful because you can't just go blurting in but these these things like death and you know loss and everything it's going to happen to them right the way through their lives So why not teach them right at the beginning, you know, the the skills to to manage them, but have an open, um, relaxed conversation with them and listen to them. Let them ask questions, answer the questions as honest as possible, but encourage them, like you said, Tony, encourage them to find solutions themselves Mm -hmm. with a little bit of help.
1: So I've got a three-year-old and I do sit down and talk to him quite a lot and if he's got any problems or worries I do try and find solutions for him for him to work through himself as well and if he comes to me upset I do calm him down first before I get him to explain why he's upset because a lot of the time I see parents at playgroups where the kid's upset and they're shouting at the kid because the kid won't calm down and they're not finding out what's wrong with the kid because they're just shouting to try and get them to calm down I like to calm my little one down first and then once he's calm I go right now tell me what's wrong we had exactly the same episode last night I got him from work he's crying his eyes out because my mum went home and after I got him calm I said right why are you crying what's actually wrong and he went I want nanny to stay Says, well, you know, Nanny can't. I said, because she's got to go home and see granddad and she's got to have her dinner. So but she's coming back tomorrow. Oh, is she? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. I said, you're all right now? Yeah. Okay, come on in. Let's go and do something fun. Mm-hmm. So I like to calm my one down. Um, my other half will come in and be like, what's the matter? What's the matter? And keep trying to ask him why he's crying. And I always find that he just starts crying even more because he's trying to explain, for example, I want nanny home, but he's crying his eyes out trying to get that out as well. And it's just making him even more emotional. Um, and my ever asks this, how do you calm him down first? But I try and take his mind off of what's upsetting him. Let's yeah. do something to calm you in the sense of all oh, distraction method. Um, and as a, he's my first, so as a, a new mum, I kind of treated my son like a, a sense, Tony's going to give me a dirty look there, like training a dog. Because <laughs> um, you don't know what they actually want. You know, like a dog. They can't physically, when they're small, communicate and go, this is wrong, that's wrong, like a dog.
0: So well, the way the way they communicate, the way a little child will communicate is show those really, really strong emotions. It yeah. may be they may have a tantrum, they may be unconsolable in tears. And if we raise our voices so that they can hear us, they're going to go louder. And it's just going to be like a competition to see who gets to the top, whereas if you stay nice and calm and wait, literally wait, even though sometimes you think, oh, you know, like it needs to stop. Wait until, because once they're up there, they've got to come back down. Yes. And you can't just turn it off. It's, yeah. they've got to come back down gradually and as they come back down that of course like the breathing is gonna you know go back to as normal as possible and they, they get to be nice and calm and then they can concentrate and focus on what you're asking them to do whereas if we try and beat them by shouting louder or you know say you know behave you know calm down it's not going to do them any good whatsoever because this is the way that little children will communicate because they Mm. don't understand things and this is the first thing that they'll experience is that overflow of emotions and those outbursts
1: yeah and would you say obviously um as a new mum myself um parents need a little bit more educating because again there's been children at playgroup and They apologize for the children's behavior and they don't address the behavior. They just sort of kind of push the kid to one side and they're like, I'm so sorry. You know, they didn't mean it. They shouldn't have done it. I'm so sorry. The kid hasn't learned because they haven't got down to their level and spoke to them and said, why did you do that? Or what what feelings did you have or anything like that? Um, I get very frustrated with that because children to me, you need to get down to their level and talk to them. And when you've got an adult towering above them and pretending that they don't exist, what signals is that throwing out to a child? Yeah.
0: Also, if you think if you think about uh, when a child is is overcome with emotions, they they are seeking that help. They are seeking that attention. And if you get them to, to be as calm as possible, that's, you know, that is so much better. It does work. It's not, we're, none of us are perfect parents, we've all fluffed up in one way or other, but a lot of the things that parents learn is what's already been learned from their experiences of a child and listening to their parents as well. So I've probably taken things into a mum and a nan, um, what I've experienced with my parents and my grandparents. But however, what I've done now is since I've been in, in this job, I've actually thought, looked at the, the picture so much bigger. Looked at it in all different ways and everything. So I do my best. I'm not perfect. I do my best, but I wish I knew what I knew now all those years ago when I was a young parent.
1: So do you, um, Yeah, I do, do you at any point sorry. work, do you at any, sorry, it's probably getting loud again here. Do you at any point work with the parents, um, for the child's issues
0: i i do but very subtly if i have a child that comes in and um i can sort of surmise that it's the parent's behavior i will say to the parents well have you ever thought about this have you ever thought about that but well, that's one thing that um moving on from what i do working with the children i want to work with the child and the parents because we all have different belief systems, don't we, about what's a good parent, what's not a good parent. And there's loads and loads of books out there. There's loads of things that you can read on the internet. But if it doesn't relate to how you, you know, what you believe, sorry, and how you behave, then you're not gonna take that information in. And where's the perfect parent? There isn't a perfect parent. We learn on the job, basically.
1: Yeah, we had this conversation in um, last week's or this week's podcast about being perfect, um, and we we did discuss quite in length about what is perfect. So, yeah, there is no perfect parent. There is no perfect child. There is no perfect anything. It's just... And
0: anybody who says that the child's perfect or they're a perfect parent, I'm afraid, that's
1: not real. No, I, I know mine certainly isn't.
2: <laughs> and I think something you brought up there is really important, and you've both talked about the communication side where the parents can, down to a level, it's partly something's getting down or the child coming up a little bit. It's just finding whatever that balance is, whatever you do. But one thing is so important that all parents don't recognise is why the child's crying. What I mean, but as I have parents tell me, oh, they're just angry, they're annoyed at something, but sometimes it's not. It's frustration. It can be there because they make feel hurt, but they look at all these things as being the exact same thing. They're just crying for the sake of they're hungry or this. They always put it onto something. But what they don't do is find out and he said about working with parent and child. I've only done a few, but one of the things that I got them to do, all know there's some similar, is I got them to do a lot of the parents to do the drawings, first of all, and they draw what the emotion is. So anger by a little face, what it would be. They draw frustration, right? If you're hot on it, happy, sad, and they draw these out. And when the child feels that bad or they are crying, where are you? And they'll show them. And then they start to treat a bit different because they start to understand it's not all crying for one thing. They're not always crying. They cry for different reasons. And it's until they learn how to deal with those emotions. You remember at that age, children don't know how to deal with it. They're not capable of dealing with emotions. They're still right. learning right and wrong up to about six, seven years old. Yeah. Then I mean, it's the school that they start to learn a bit more about the world. So we need to get that understanding as early as possible.
0: Yeah, sorry, Tony. I was interrupting you there. But if you look at look at us, how we feel. If we have a really bad day, what do we want to do? We want to either um, go and let off some steam, or maybe go quiet, or maybe go for a sleep, or you know something. Whereas a child, if they, if you think about when they go to school how they have to conform at school they have to sit in a certain place for a certain length of time taking in all this information regardless of any noise that's going around or anything like that they have to take in that information some of them do some of them don't then they're released outside for a little bit of play and then they're brought back and straight away they have to sit down and conform again now we know that the teachers work really really hard and nowadays teachers are not just educators are they they're also counselors they're also Mm -hmm. you know second parents so to speak you know caregivers and all of that but when a child comes out of school if they've had not a very good day at school or, or the opposite when they've had a fantastic day they want to tell you so they come out either bursting with you know like mom mommy look at this look at this or they can come out feeling really really awful we should allow the children that time to express themselves because that's their comfort zone. When they're at home, hopefully that's their safe place, their comfort place where they can be who they want to be and feel comfortable at being allowed to express themselves. And sometimes what we do is we, we suppress them and we say, Oh, we're too busy. You know, we're. Um, sit down and have your tea and then you know like do your homework and then go to bed and we know we've all got routines and, and life is very very busy but if we don't allow the children to express themselves they're not going to learn how to manage themselves effectively
1: yeah my mm-hmm. three-year-old sorry tony my three-year-old he gets very upset if another child is upset or if somebody is hurt or injured on the telly or even if there's a cartoon character that may be crying or, you know, being separated from other characters on the telly, he gets upset. And I said, what's the matter? And he goes, it's not, it's not nice. They're, they're upset, so I'm upset. And he feels that like empathy for them, and he gets quite upset by it. And until they're happy, he's then happy. And he won't become happy until they're happy. And we had it at play school when he went the other day. Um, a child went in crying. They were upset. And they said to me when I picked him up, they went, oh, your little one was a bit upset today. I said, oh, why is that? And they said, oh, because a little boy came in upset. So he was upset. I said, oh, okay." I said, and how did you deal with it? And they said, we just allowed him to calm back down. And uh, once the other little boy was calm, your one calmed down. I said, he's like that. He's, I'm not an emotional person. Um, Tony's going to laugh at this. I'm not an emotional person. I'm not somebody that cries at films. I don't do anything like that. My other half, he's quite sensitive. So I think he gets that from his dad's side and he gets the sensitive side from him. Whereas me, I I could watch a film that's, you know, the most horrific film ever and I'd be just like, yeah, it's a film and just walk away from it. (laughs) My little one, he's only got to watch a cartoon character fall off a cliff and he's like, oh my God, the world's ended.
0: This shows you how different people are and how different children are though. Because your your little boy is obviously quite sensitive to everybody else's or his, you know, his, his fellow um, peers, you know, feelings and mm. emotions. Whereas you can have a child who's not. And the the thing that um, the thing that I try and get across to parents and and as a therapist is. We don't all fit in the same box and neither do children. We are so, so different. We're all different, all three of us are different. We have different personality traits, and so do children, but we have different ways of dealing with things. And so do children. But people think that because the children, they they don't have any of these coping mechanisms because they shouldn't be learning these things straight from the, you know, the word go, I remember. Uh, being 11 12 something like that and my great-grandparent died and I wasn't allowed to the funeral because they said funerals not not for children yeah. um and I, I, it sounds awful but my first experience then of a funeral was when I was 20 years of age when mm-hmm. my grandparent passed away and I was allowed to the funeral then mm. I just
2: want to bring that up because I've had two clients lately um both in their 50s, both ladies in their 50s, and the two of them were not allowed to go to a funeral when younger. One was of their own sister, and the parents never spoke about that, and it bottled up and bottled up all these years then because it's never talked about, and they can't remember things. And I think that sometimes is, I'm going to ask the question, and because you brought it up, one of the things I said to them is how did they do it with their children? Because you're right, we're influenced by what we're taught, but is shielding children from something like that so early on Good for the children or is it better for them to learn how to deal with that so when they grow up like you just said in their 20s now they have to go they're not trying to deal with emotions they've never had to deal with before like grief and because people struggle so much with grief because they don't really understand it or why it does some people like leanne probably doesn't hit you right away because you say the emotion is not like that not emotional person it doesn't mean it's not hitting you it's just because you don't show it right oh away. It, oh it does hit me the inside
1: Yeah, it hits me inside, but I'm one of these people I I don't tend to show the emotion, I keep it inside. I
2: believe that, yes. (laughs) So, actually, looking at then, so how, is it right to protect children from things in the world? Or should we start bringing them out to these things so they learn about that as early as possible?
0: I think it's, I think we have a right as a parent, we have a duty as as a parent, as a caregiver, or, you know, whoever we are to protect our children but I don't think we should shield them from things that are, are going to happen to them throughout their lives. I'm not saying that my parents are wrong. I, I think it was, I was in senior school. So I was 11, 12, something like that. Um, that my parents had told me that, you know, my, my gran, it was my mum's nana actually. So my gran had passed away and, um, and we went to school on the day of the funeral. Um, you know it's normal me and my my, you know my siblings went to school Um, and but what my parents did is my parents talked about it when they came home and they talked about who was there what had happened so I already had sort of an an idea of what had happened and yes looking back I think I don't think I was old enough to go to, to the funeral but I do think that some parents need to be able to, to have this open conversation with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, the same, same with their animals. When their animals pass away, be honest with them, because anybody who grows up with animals like I have all the way through my life, we've always had, you know, a dog or we've had rabbits and guinea pigs and things like that. their lifespan isn't as long as ours so we're bound to experience that loss and we've been very open with our our children you know our guinea pigs are buried in our garden you know and um, and things like that but um, we've we've always been very very honest about loss and uh, and bereavement and you know checked up on the children you know made sure that they're all right but that's me Maybe it's because this is what I do for a living that I'm more open to doing this because we've encouraged our grandsons to be, you know, quite open and honest about their conversations with, them, with, with us. Um, I don't think it's a matter of shielding them. Uh, I think it's a matter of making sure whatever's best for your child, what's in their best interest at that particular time. You might have an 11 year old child who can cope quite well and he's, you know, can go to a funeral. Or you can have an 11-year-old who you may f- feel as a parent, it's not quite right. I think so really it really is they, up
2: to the parent to deem when yeah. they know their child better than anybody else. Yes. So they deem yes. when it's necessary. I like what you said about the communication, because this is with the ones that I've dealt with recently them. That was part of the problem. It wasn't so much that they never got to the funeral. It's the fact that no one talked about it yes. even afterwards. Yes. So they grew up never discussing it was like the dead put them out the way. They're never out the problem the parents heart all the time. But because they didn't speak about it, the rest of them weren't allowed to talk about it because it was too difficult for parents. But what the parents don't realise is then that if you do that to children, that means they grow up, they, they don't understand grief. They don't understand how to deal with death. So when it does hit them, it can hit a lot worse because they're not prepared for it. No one's really ever prepared totally for something like that, for grief or death. But it's better to get them, and it's not just that subject. It can be any, like we said earlier But the little signs. How do you deal with frustration? How do you deal with anger? Um, you said it's okay to be angry. Some parents looking and say, "No, oh, they shouldn't be, and they tell them to stop, stop talking, don't do this, don't do that. In episode two of this series, series four, we had a perfect example of that, of someone coming on top, I think, of selective mutism. And what that can be down to, a lot of theory is, it's down to the fact that parents, putting children down, telling them, don't say that you don't speak to, you're spoken to, don't do this. So they literally do not talk anymore. It's not the their vocal cords don't work. They literally can't speak because their mind is heard that often. They don't just, you should only be heard when you're spoken to, you should only be heard now. Go out, this is adult talk. And all that, and they get put down and they don't do it. And that's the thing, the thing we have to learn when well, then you said, Elizabeth, is the communication from as early as possible. Communicate with your children. Talk to them and understand how they are. And that means when they start facing face things, He's both know how to deal with it, so they're not left alone. They've got yeah. that support.
0: Do you know, I don't know whether you remember the um, the Diamond Jubilee, the Queen's uh, Diamond Jubilee, and there was a I think there was a concert going on outside Buckingham Palace, and Prince Louis was there. He was only he's only four, and he was there, sat with um, Prince William and. Um, Catherine, his parents, and he was pulling all kinds of faces and everything. Mm-hmm. He was pulling all kinds of faces on the balcony and he was pulling, and he was getting agitated because he had to sit there yeah. and the papers had a field day, you know, saying um, you know, he's a bit cheeky, he's a bit naughty. He's a child.
2: Yeah, he was you bored. Know, and
0: a child should be bored. able to be a child.
2: Yeah. And I think that's the thing. Yeah. And the only way they can learn or teach in these environments is to be in the environment. but you have to. It's like Zoom. When Zoom or WebEx is a world where people are on Teams, Meets, all these things, one of the first things you ever heard or saw about when work started putting them on about COVID, though we had it before COVID, about COVID was children popping into the room or a cat or dog. Um, and the cat usually walking, mine was always walking on the keyboards. so I have to keep them out of the room now because the children love the camera. I hate the cameras but they just love it, they just sit and pose in front of the cameras. But at first it was, was people were like, oh no, you can't have that, they shouldn't have been here, they shouldn't be doing everything. But what they realised is that their characters was coming through. That was something people could relate to. And it made this kind of thing a lot easier for people, is by having the cats, the dogs, the children there. And it breaks up, sometimes these long meets people, and it adds a bit of fun to them. People forget that there's like a barrier here. But when you do that, it just breaks up. Even when I mentioned the cat and dog walking along there or the child walking and both of you started smiling. you realise that. the soon as you do it, you mentioned it, what do you smile? That's what it does. If you have your child involved whatever you do, you realise you smile a lot more than all the other emotions that they're going to go through. They will go through them all, but you realise the smell is more. I said before we come on, my thing with all clients is you're not allowed to leave the door until you smile. I don't care what way you come in, you need to smile before you go. And I think that was something that I was never taught when I was young, was that to be that way. You were taught to hold emotions in. So I became really deadpan. I'm very good at not showing emotion.
0: Big boys don't it's not cry. That,
2: brought, that. I've got a lot of emotion, but I do not show emotion a lot. And it was because how I was brought up. And that's, some people thought it was great because it meant they thought things didn't hurt me as bad. Like you were saying, Leanne, yeah, about watching the movie, my wife will always crack up with that. You must get hurt by that. But she knows there's one weakness. If you show one movie to me and it will happen, so I don't allow it on. And it's Lassie, and it was all about a dog <laughs> when I was young. Lassie come home to name of the film. And this poor dog, and all these people, I was hitting the TV. I wanted to I kill all these people. Them, yeah. I wanted to kill all these people for hurting that dog. I would go crazy with them. And hmm. she said that, that that's the thing, is that everybody's got something like that, and it show that emotion. But when my nieces not now before they were younger and haven't you watch with them watching something like me. And they think it's funny because I could watch all these other films. I could watch any but you put *Somewhere with dog and they think it's funny to put it on. Knowing it's the only time, I'd get emotional because of that. So everybody's got that. And it's that connection that we need to have with them to start to show that that kind of thing, showing that emotion is a good thing, not a bad thing. I was brought up to it being bad. You don't show it, so you hold it. And guys don't do that. Little boys now, it's one of the things we, well, me and Les are actually on another podcast. I as realizing Tony, that's why we know each other. And one of the things that we were talking about, Les, that's really good is how I think, anyway, nowadays we talked to Esther about uh, another podcast about today about um, children being the wrong body. But one of the questions I got for this one today was, What how do you feel about children experimenting with this pain put by trying different things on when they're younger? So instead of the little girl only dressing and pink and the wee boys all dressing in blue put whatever colors they want on but also the wee boy was walking about the house with his mum's high heels on oh, yeah. and a wee coat thing on and he was walking about the dad was furious but the mum was laughing but what does a child get out of that when they see both those faces and it's so, all and they, right you said they're only children so how do you how do people then let children express themselves in whatever way they can is it good for a child to do that
0: I think it's very good for the children because as the child grows up when they get to um you know like between I think it's still quoted properly but I think it's from 11 onwards they start to find their own identity mm-hmm. and if they're struggling to find their own identity they're not going to feel as if they fit in anywhere at all. I've got three children um my eldest is 35 and then I've got a daughter. Of 31, and then a daughter of 28. I know I don't look that old, but I have. Um, I see Tony doesn't say anything to see. Land smiles. Tony yeah, I don't show it Washington, <laughs> but I was thinking that inside that you look
2: that age. I've told you that.
0: So, um, and Dan used to. Um, Dan used. To, I've, got, I've got photographs of Dan on the landing upstairs of him in, in my high heels, my handbag. And, you know, years and years ago, he used to wear big loopy earrings like that, and he used to hang them off at the top of his ears. All kinds, of, and, and glasses and things like that.
1: And, and you now, know, What well, all kids Of course they do. You see oh, girls... I, I used to dress up, my yeah. little one. he will put on um, my slippers and try and yes. walk around the living yes. room. Mm-hmm. My um,
0: grandson pinches my slippers when he comes <laughs> out. Yeah.
1: And the other thing he gets hold of is my bra. Yeah. And if my bra's in the living room, like in the washing pile or anything, he picks it up and goes boobies like that and then he puts it against him and then he walks around the living room with my sister but if
0: you if you turn around and went no don't do that and took it off him oh, then uh-huh. he would actually feel that that was the wrong thing to do and this is where we can instill these negative thought processes mm. these negative behaviors yeah. my daughters I've got pictures of my daughters being in uh, in Scotland in John O'Groats um mm. inside the, the lifeboat with lifeboat you know with the hats on and and the big you know um mm life-saving things and in, in inside the um the fire engine and everything and we never turned around and said no that's not the right thing to do because you know there were predominantly males you know when my children were little and we never we never stopped them we we wanted them to and you know to to find their own identities and that's but exactly finding,
1: what we've done. exactly and finding your own identities i mean me as a child god if, if anyone dressed up as much as I did I went through every stage of being an emo being a goth being I wanted to dress like a witch all the time Stop laughing Tony um, mm-hmm. and it I yes punk rocker you know going out in short short skirts and all that because I thought that was the end thing at the time I went through so many different stages and when I look back at photos I think oh my god you wore that but when I got to sort of mid-teens sort of that age I was like, like okay I've got to stop dressing like that because that's not me and yeah. then I found my own way of dressing exactly and then, you
0: found your own identity didn't yeah.
1: you yeah but I used to wear black lipstick yeah. I used to powder my face white I used to be like a proper goth at one stage and my parents just let me get on with it they went she'll just find her own way just leave her but the more you tell her not to do it I'm I'm one of these the more you tell me not to do something I will do it yes exactly and You know, and they've always said, just let her get on with it. She'll find her own way. She's not doing
0: it wrong. I don't see a problem at all. I don't see anything being a problem when children, if they're not hurting anybody, Mm. you know, of of doing this. Like my grandsons, I've painted their nails. (laughs) I I have. I painted, you know, um, they've painted my husband's nails, you know, and things like that, because they've they've been playing. Mm. And we've never turned around and said no, you don't do that. I mean, I think my husband's made a hasty retreat and gone upstairs and took it off, you know. And yeah, then he's going to pub, show
2: his mates, just get my nails done. <laughs> well,
0: <laughs> yeah. I, I think I did mention about him going to the pub on the Saturday. <laughs> with him, oh, I won't tell I, you what he said.
1: <laughs> my father actually painted the nails of one of his mates when they were out on a um, canoe trip. So they all come back from the pub drunk and because they were staying in a caravan of their mate's caravan, there was nail varnishes in the bathroom. So three blokes, big blokes, all paramedics on this sort of like weekend jolly up going out kayaking. One of them fell asleep. So they painted his toenails bright pink and his fingernails, let him lay in. They all went down to the river to do their kayaking he woke up raced down there thinking oh my gosh I'm late got all the way down there trying to get his wetsuit on and when he's looked down he's got these bright pink nails and he couldn't do anything there was no nail varnish remover in the caravan he didn't know where to go and get him because out in the middle of nowhere he was like well, what do I do and they went oh well you have to stay like that wouldn't you so that was just them joking about and having a laugh you know but at no point did they sort of say to him now we've put that on you, you're going to be a female. And I think that's what a lot of people do. They see their child, if it's a boy, put a dress on, and then they go, they automatically, they want to be a girl. So then they force them into continually wearing female clothes. Um, again, if it's a, a girl, and they put on, I mean, I used to go school with quite a few tomboys, you know, where they'd wear trousers and want to sort of dress like that. They're so feminine now, all the pretty dresses and everything. But when there was a child, their parents just let them get on with it. They didn't force them and say to them, look, because you're now dressing like a boy, we're going to make you dress like a boy and only buy your boy clothes. They just let them go through that process themselves. And that's the one thing that I've got the fear of with my child. I don't want him to be in an environment where he might put on something pink because guys wear pink. I mean, I know Tony likes lilac. Um, and <laughs> it's good to be pink. It's still a girly colour, isn't it? Um, you know, and I, do, <laughs> I don't want him to be like putting a. My brother I put his pink shirts to work. I don't want him to put a pink top on, and then somebody turn around and go, "Oh, your son likes pink, so he must be a girl." And then force my son to start believing that. I don't want people to start influencing him, and then when he gets to an age where he goes, "I think I've got to be a girl," and then I get to a stage where I turn around and say, "But do you really want to be a girl?" And he goes, "Well, that's what I've been told. I've got to be." And I think that's where a lot of children then get into, like, the adulthood where they transition and then they regret it and then they come back out and they go, what did I do? And then when you stem back to their history, it is because they wore one item and then they were automatically labelled and then they got changed. I mean, I know everybody's got their own views on all of that, um, but that's just my view. I don't think children should be pressured just because they're trying on an item of clothing you know otherwise i'll be a goth now i'd be <laughs> i'd be sitting here with a witch's allen so yeah, yeah probably be a punk rocker or something like that but yeah it's um they
0: have to make those choices and tony and i talked about choices on our podcast didn't we about um how we yes i suppose in a way we need to influence them to bring out the best in them but not influence them to change who they are. Um. Um. But just encourage them to be proud of who they are. My son is uh, 35, um, he's gay, and he's coming on our podcast, and he is so proud of who he is, and I'm very, very proud of who he is, very proud.
1: But he's, he's found who he is. He's found
0: who he is, but he he never told us. He never sat us down and told us because we could see that transition. And we accepted that right from no, the
1: start. There was no influencing from no. anything he'd done as a child by no. you turning around and going, ah, because you might have been wearing that or no. acting like that, you're going to be this. I mean, my brother, when we was at school, he's got a speech problem. Um, well, he did have, he, he couldn't talk till he was four. So he had a speech problem. And um, sorry, let me started start drilling again. And um, with his speech problem, because he couldn't communicate properly, everyone used to say he was gay. Because he had that sort of like campus side of his voice, and he used to get so frustrated, and he he then turned to being very angry, always being very angry, and because he was dyslexic as well, he was always angry with the world because people would assume that he was one thing because yeah. of the way he spoke. I mean, he's married, he's got two children, you know, he's he is who he is, but if he wanted to be gay when he was child and he went into adulthood that would have been his choice yeah but to be pushed on him at a young age that oh you must be gay look he talks funny I I found that very sort of confronting but your son's obviously found who he wants to be yeah and that's how he wants to be in his life
0: but he he did he did go through he did go through three years of, of hell at school
1: yeah but the main thing is is he happy oh yes well then that's all that yes and,
0: and we are and he's such a lovely guy i've said to tony to be care- be careful because he can talk more than me so when we have him on the podcast poor tony won't get a word in edge but he really
2: can won't. he, can he talk two more than, only, than me this is our
0: like, show today tony
2: oh is, sorry then well i want to one thing is one word we picked up on him was influence i don't really think it's influence we do with him i think it's encouraging, nurture. Hmm. They're the other two words it should be for children that, if we end this on this and is that looking at that, we should be encouraging our children to be themselves, whatever they decide they want to be. Yeah, we support that in a way to keep them safe, but yeah. we need to encourage them to allow those feelings, emotions to come out, so as early as possible they get to understand them, so they're not restricted as they grow up in life. Or, as you said, they can wear whatever they want when they're younger, they dress well, because you need to get through stages whether it is using these guises, as we call it, we musical. We may say about punks, goths. A lot of that we associate with music. Then when people go through that, no one thinks twice. But if a child does it, you start, well, what's wrong with them? But as teenagers, we do it because we're trying to find ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. As mentioned there, about 11 years older, how difficult. We've got to remember that teenagers you cannot reason with. Yeah.
0: It just doesn't happen,
2: And it's not their fault. It's because what's changing in them, they are trying to find their identity and purpose in life. They but lose if we've nurtured, we've encouraged the children they. up to that point, yeah. they will do that the right way. Yeah. So I've started we started doing this recently. What's one thing, Liz, to finish off a day that you would say to give advice to any parent? Just one thing out of today.
0: Communicate, communicate, have an open,
1: honest form of communication with your children both ways.
2: Good. Leanne.
1: I'll come off mute, yeah. Um I would just say to make sure your children are happy. Mm-hmm. That's to me, that's the main thing. As long as my son is happy and healthy and the, his friends and everyone around him is happy and healthy, that's half the battle in my eyes.
2: And encourage them to follow their dreams. That's yes. mine. Encourage them to follow their dreams, whatever that takes them. Sometimes they'll get where they want, sometimes they don't, but that doesn't matter. They just have to have the dream, and we need to encourage them to do that and nurture everyone. So that's brilliant. Great conversation from the two of you. I just joined in again. So thank you very much to guest today, Liz. Thank
0: you for having me.
2: Thank you. Thank and you. I was going to say my co-host, but since actually the comments she's made about me and Lyle connect today, my ex-co-host is... <laughs> so you wouldn't get rid of Tony, been, right. you wouldn't okay. get me yet. So thank you very much to these. Thank <laughs> you to everybody for joining us again. Now. Join us again next week. Um, just to say, take care of yourself, take care of your families and everybody you know, and have a fantastic week.
1: Thank you, Tony. Thank you, Liz. Thank you. Thank you
0: for listening and tune in next week for more great conversation, valuable tips and positive
1: ideas, allowing you to take your first step towards learning, growing and succeeding.